Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to C. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey Adam, how you doing? I'm good. Long time no see. It's been been a while. Been a while, but we're you know, we're back in style. So we got it's been, a, us, been a whole ten nice. minutes since we recorded the last episode. <laughs> I found out that my, my soda maker is acting up in these ten minutes. So I've had a real roller coaster. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to get a. I have to get a wrench to see if I have the right settings on it because I jerry rigged it because I wanted to. Huh. Uh, and sometimes wow. when you jerry rig things like starships or soda streams, it causes issues, and you got to deal with those issues as they come. Uh, which is something that I like to think is very relevant to our stories today. Uh, stories that came to us from such illustrious folks as Al Parker. Who went on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf said, folks, I like what you're doing. Uh, here's some money. Would you like to talk about the Star Jammers? Yeah. In, you don't have to pay me to talk about the Star <laughs> Jammers, Adam. I love the Star Jammers. They're fun. They uh, they sure are. And we are going to talk about three Star Jammers stories, which I think pair very nicely with our episode last week about Cyclops. It's almost like we planned it. And I say almost like because we didn't plan it. <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, but uh, this first one is from Uncanny X-Men. Uh, or X-Men, oh, yeah. depending on how you know the cover is. No, at this point, it was officially in the Indica Uncanny X-Men. Uh, this is 154 to uh, 157? 157. This doesn't have a uh, real title. But it's the one where there's the Sidrian Hunters and Deathbird trying to, like, take over the Shi'ar Empire. And it's a whole thing. That's a big Deathbird story. Setting up the Brood Saga, which will happen pretty soon afterwards in the aftermath of this. Yeah. Um, do you? Can I ask you a question? When you think about X-Men eras, do you always have the cognitive dissonance that I do that Dave Cockrum comes back to the book after John Byrne? I know Dave Cockrum comes back to the book. I know it's weird that Dave Cockrum comes back to the book. I also feel like that era between, you know, 143 or 144 to the Brood Saga is an era where the X-Men are in a transitory period. Mm. And they they haven't figured out where it's all going to click in this new normal with Gene gone, with Kitty on the team. And you get, you get a lot of really good one-shots in this time period. And you get you also get a weird story like this, which doesn't all the way work, but does <laughs> do a lot of, like, X-Men stuff. Like, this feels, this era, more than anything else, feels like if you were going to pick one moment in time to do X-Men things, it's right here. It's it's this and you know the Paul Smith stuff. Like they all that whole chunk of time is generic Claremont X Men, and I say generic in a good way. There, like that's the that's the easy pitch 
Like, that's what the 90s cartoon would be if it came out in the 80s. That's an interesting point, because uh, we're getting things like Danger Room sequences, Storm talking to Cyclops about who should lead the team. We're getting the uh, Corsair reveal to Cyclops and him being furious that Storm has kept this secret uh, from him. And listen, I act- <laughs> Cyclops is 100% in the right here. Uh, Jean, Jean Grey made a bad choice there when she was like, oh, I know about your secret dad. Uh, I'm going to die and tell everyone but you, Scott. <laughs> so this this story begins with Corsair on the run from the Sidrian Hunters, um, who are this really fun sort of alien. Are, are they, They're not robots. They're kind of like bugs, right? They're kind of like bugs. They have a hive mind thing going yes. on. Yeah, they can combine into a giant spaceship. They can be individual. Seems like they have control over their shape and their size. Yeah, they aren't the most memorable uh, (laughs) part of the Claremont run. They aren't his best addition to the mythos, I would say. I mean, the fact that they're just basically silhouettes is not, you know, speaking too highly of them. But they're kind of cool Cockrum alien bug things which is fun but it's all an excuse for this emotional tempest that is going to happen with super grumpy cyclops finding out about corsair and you know really getting in his face about why he didn't come back to save them which is you know the pre uh cursor to the story we talked about last week when greg rucka picks that up again uh with with teen scott and a frustrated corsair yeah you get you get a lot of that angst in the middle of this big action sequence which is a very Claremonty thing. Like, he doesn't have them stop to talk about their feelings. They have to talk mm-hmm. about their feelings while running away from space aliens. And that's the most enjoyable part of this story. I think where it really starts to fall apart is when we get the uh, Deathbird stuff going on. The X-Men team up with Tigra, of all characters. Oh, yeah, you're talking about Grant Greer? I or guess. Greer, Grant? Excuse me. I don't like Tigra. I think I think Tigra's a bad character, actually. No, it um, seems like a very strange uh, cameo to have here, but um, I'm curious what was going on. Like, was Marvel trying to put put Tigra over? Was this a character? Because this wasn't a character that, like Claremont was writing. No, because no, norm- usually... normally what you get when you get the weird stuff, you get the Power Man, Iron Fist kind of characters who tie in because that's who Claremont was also writing. Yeah, that, that would make more sense. But the fact that they try and contact the Fantastic Four, they try and contact the Avengers and get left with Tigra, who just has some wacky lines, and it's just weird. I will say, it is also really fun uh, that we get on Deathbird's team the introduction of the Brood uh, in a very kind of silly way, you know, because they're not the Brood that we associate with the Brood Saga. They're just like an alien with a gun. Yeah, they're not there yet. Obviously, there is an influence from the Xenomorphs from Aliens in their design. But, like, Claremont and Cockrum haven't gone full, oh, these should just be feral killers kind of mode yet. It's yeah. not all the way there. It's a... This is a weird one. And things happen in this. Like, this is the first time the expansion gets destroyed. Right. It takes till 1982. Yeah. Yeah, because the Sidrian Hunters uh, blow up the the X-Mansion, which, you know, doesn't seem like a pretty big landmark, but this is where it happens. That's why the X-Men live on Magneto's Octopus Island for a little bit. (laughs) Right. 
Right. They uh, live there, and then what happened? It gets destroyed next in Inferno. Yes, I think. I believe that's correct. Um, and then it doesn't get destroyed. Well, okay, I was about to say it definitely gets destroyed, or it gets stripped during Operation Zero Tolerance, hmm. and then destroyed at the end of Morrison's run. Morrison doesn't destroy it, but Chuck Austin does in the follow-ups. Hmm. And then Messiah Complex. There you go. Then we haven't had a mansion for a while. Yep. No mansions on Krakoa. Not yet. Not yet. Not oh, yet. no. It gets... It, they move to... When it moves to Limbo and then to Central Park, uh, it does get uh, paved over in Central Park. Then, oddly enough, there is a mansion still in Westchester that the Sidrian Hunters are living in, and we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> It may never come up again. It probably won't. Uh, that was a very strange uh, issue of giant size. We also have a cliffhanger somewhere in the middle that Colossus potentially has died. Uh, we get Sikors- We get our, our guy Sikorsky, our little robot mosquito, uh, putting people back together again, which is always great. Yeah, Cyclops or Colossus is going to die, and they're like, "Don't worry, we got magic space technology. He's fine." <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the other thing that just really doesn't do this much favors is by the time you get to like 157 claremont is getting so wordy with his word balloons and his text boxes that it overshadows a lot of the action that's happening here well what i'm curious is i mean this is not cockrum's return is not as strong as his work in the 70s and i don't know how much of that is because he's forced to be on a monthly schedule for this where previously Mm -hmm. he was bi-monthly i don't know how much of that is Cause like this is this is very much Claremont saying, "Hey Dave, we'll do we'll do the stuff you like. You're back. Right. Yeah, we got Star Jammers back. I know you love them. We got the Imperial Guard. We got all that Dave Cockrum stuff that I know you crave. But it just it it doesn't it doesn't click the way it used to. No, and we get to this point in 157 where Kitty pretends to be the Phoenix to scare uh, the Shi'ar and. You know, it just seems like there's a lot thrown into this grab bag and it doesn't all add up. Um, is it fun? Yeah, I think there's some cool stuff in here. I think Dave Cockrum draws the hell out of any spaceship that you let him draw. Dave um, Cockrum loves to draw a spaceship. Yeah, but the draw here, the real draw is the Colossus Corsair stuff. And beyond Cyclops, that... Cyclops. Wh- what did Corsair. I say? I said you Colossus. Colossus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Colossus is the one that gets stabbed with Deathbirds, Deathbird stabber spear <laughs> sure javelin yes uh that's the draw but uh, you know beyond that eh, i don't know it's just There's okay. a bunch of weird shiar politics stuff which i don't i think i think shiar politics are a trap that every writer gets themselves into when they want to play with the shiar and mm-hmm. no one has ever done it right I think War of Kings is about the closest you get to me caring about Shi'ar politics. But even then, I feel like everyone tries to add more and more and more onto it. And they're already really confusing space bird jerks. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't don't think you can say that no one did it, right? I think Claremont got it, you know, the first okay, time. Okay, hold on. on. But here, here's here. So let's talk about let's talk about that. First Claremont story with the Shi'ar is the stuff with the Mad Emperor Daken. Right. Uh, that's not actually very complicated from a political standpoint. Like, I, that's I think, where it's that's where it's right, you know. Hey, the Phoenix the Phoenix Saga does work. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. This here doesn't work as well. No. The stuff where Lalandra disposes of Deathbird in two seventy five doesn't work as well. Nope. Agree. Uh, all of the other Shi'ar stuff between then and now 
including the stuff now doesn't work as well as you want it to it's a trap i i agree you know because you try and make it more complicated than it needs to be anyway so, um, i definitely have a shiar politics uh pitch i would fall right into that trap call me marvel <laughs> don't call me i don't write comics I don't want to write comics. I do have a fun pitch that I, Ooh, would Adam, like you that. specifically would love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the thing, folks. I'm not. I'm not writing Marvel comics. I just said it turns out there are three heads of the Shi'ar Empire. Empire that could, uh, you know, become king. Like that have a right to the throne. Uh, and all all of them have secret kids. So wouldn't it be wouldn't it be funny? If there was a big civil war between all their secret kids and positioning people. Anyway, this is this is what I mean when I say I definitely have a pitch for Adam X the Extreme. <laughs> Perfect. The rightful heir of the Shi'ar throne. Of course. I, as I, we all know. I would Well, here's the thing. The Mad Emperor to Ken. Mm-hmm. We don't have to get into this. We don't have to get into this. Think about it. Adam X has a pretty darn good claim. He sure does. Sure does. Great claim for Adam X the Extreme. Yep. You wonder if a random Shi'ar citizen is like, so wait, all of their kids are related to this one freaking family on Earth? It's a great question that they should They couldn't be have a Shi'ar themselves. kid? <laughs> we, we have enslaved a billion races. They couldn't crossbreed with one of those? Guess not. Guess I not. I love the Shi'ar. They're... You just got done saying how they're terrible. Yeah, listen, I'm a man of contradictions. <laughs> no one's done them right. I love them all right let's see i could fix them is the thing is the, Let... the thing is they're terrible oh, oh. i could fix them adam oh i know i could fix them. it's that kind i know of a it relationship. with my zero comics experience <laughs> i know i could fix them <laughs> well let's see how this story ranks on our big old list oh that big old list where we're ranking every x-men story of all time that big old list where we have 627 stories on it on uh the long road to 700 we're not we're not at a road to 700 watch yet um no, so but we're don't, we're don't edging up on 250 episodes though we are we are we are close to 250 episodes will we do something special it depends if we remember <laughs> we haven't done much for the 50s to be fair that's true it's fine it's fine we don't have to do the 50s we'll We'll forget. Is uh, we will forget until week two hundred and forty nine, and be like, "Oh crap! How do we make this special when we're talking about checking notes, checking notes, checking notes? How do we make this special when we're talking about random issues of the Chris Claremont Nightcrawler miniseries from twenty fourteen? <laughs> just the kind of thing you want to celebrate. With. That's that's how you that's how you celebrate your two hundred fiftieth. Uh, your sesquicentennial mail. Anyway, right. Adam, we should rank this. Oh, we got to go over the yeah. current state of the list. Here's the rankings. Yeah. Hawksbox is at number one, folks. X-Men Black, Emma Frost, number 100. It's a good issue. Go read it. Number 200 is The Amazing Spider-Man 92, uh, which is about politics in The Amazing Spider-Man. Iceman shows up. It's a fun time. Uh, number 300 is The Stolen Island Arc of All-New X-Factor. Uh, number 400 is Uncanny X-Men... 207 to 209 the x-men versus the hellfire club versus nimrod number 300 or 500 excuse a moi 500 on this list is mechanics uh 600 on this list is the x-men animation special uh and then the draco's at the bottom all right so let's just look at 300 here that is the stolen island arc of all new x-factor uh, right below that is Marvel Team-Up 100, which is the first appearance of Karma. 
I think both of those are better than this. Okay. All right. So we are now looking down into the 300s. Hey, you know how I said that sometimes Shi'ar politics are confusing? Mm-hmm. At 3 R- 325, there is an arc that we have listed as Cable Fights Gladiator and then some Shi'ar space stuff. Yes, Cannonball uh, does fist fight Gladiator and then some space stuff. Um, I think this, this is This is also how, how we have this... the time that Lalandra disposed of Deathbird. We're like, yeah, and then there's like some stuff around X-Men 275. It's fine. <laughs> I think this uh, is better than that. What do you think? I think I think this is better than the Shi'ar stuff in that and not as good as the time that Cannonball fought Gladiator. Yeah, that's probably true. Alright, I also don't think this is as good as Trial of Gambit at 322. Okay, so there's a couple of stories between that. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, another Deathbird story. In oh, right. Spider-Man and the X-Men 4 and 5. Yeah. Okay. And then the Generation X holiday special. This is this is probably better than both of those. I agree. So, new 323? New 323 is uh, the Sidrian Hunters and the Starjammers. All right. We haven't really talked about the Starjammers too much, except for to say we like them. But well, we'll, we'll get into it in this next uh, thing, because we're going to... Are you saying we're, we're going to put a spotlight on the Starjammers? <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say. We're going to put a spotlight on the Starjammers in one of the weirdest times you could possibly put a spotlight on the Starjammers? 1990? This is spotlight on the Star... The X-Men spotlight on the Starjammers. There were no other X-Men spotlight on. Nope. Nope. Just these. And they're two oversized issues, so you're getting almost like a hundred pages worth of content with these two issues with both wraparound Dave Cockrum covers. It's Dave um, Cockrum and Terry Cavanaugh. Here's the thing about these issues. Yeah. It's 1990. Right. These are very obviously stories that were initially written for Marvel Comics Presents that did not get put into Marvel Comics Presents for... Uh, at the time, Marvel just wanting to put as many things that say X-Men on the shelves to try and keep their sales advantage going. Now that you mention it, it, that makes a lot of sense, especially given that each issue is broken up just like MCP into they're eight, little... They're, they're eight-page they're eight stories. Yep. It's it's five eight-page stories on each issue. It's mm-hmm. a, This is an MCP story. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if, because Marvel Comics Presents was so X-Men heavy... Mm-hmm. If they weren't considering at one point doing like, hey, let's just bundle those as spotlight on. And then they drop that branding and they just put out like the Colossus God Country trade yeah, and then maybe. the Cyclops trade and all that. Huh. I, I don't know, but it, it's an interesting theory. Uh, now, this has the potential to be a lot of fun. Um, we have Dave Cockrum absolutely could to the jammers. Um, and we have our entire star jammers core cast here. Corsair, Raza, Lalandra, Hepzibah, Chaud, uh, Cree is here. Uh, Sikorsky, Waldo, and even Xavier. And I, I was looking forward to this because the nightcrawler, uh, Cockrum mini is such a blast. It is so much fun. And I was kind of expecting something similar here. And unfortunately, with Kavanaugh at the pen, it's not as enjoyable. Had you read this before, Adam? I've I've flipped through it before, and it does have some delightful surprises in it, um, which we will get to. But taken as a whole, especially given its length, it leaves a little to be desired. 
it really does. Like the first half is where the Marvel Comics presents format really makes its mark and shows oh, yeah. itself. Because what happens in the first issue, they the Star Jammers capture some ship and this guy shoots out all of these time crystals or whatever that'll get them on their falcon quest Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a map and they have to they have to legend of zelda style collect the five pieces so that they can go go get the treasure at the end so the team splits up you get you get some stuff with uh chode and uh you get a arc with corsair you get a thing where binary and raza are hanging out you get a solo e story which Hands is, down, the best part of the, the books, to you me. You find out that he is, one, hated on his home planet. Right. Two, has weird lettering. And I, I want to give props to Augustin Moss, who does the lettering there. Because <laughs> yeah. the Kri'i stuff, it just looks like alien symbols. Except for every once in a while, he will make all of the symbols form words. Like, there's a lot of symbols in this one. So, there's like three balloons going, and one of them says... Claremont and the other one says balloon because it's like this, we're doing a Claremont balloon here. This is a very wordy thing. Do you get it? Do you get it? You find out that he's a pariah on his planet for something he did, and that has uh, reflected badly on the family that Kree left. People know Kree. Uh, it's a white little like fuzzy like Pet? otter looking guy. Yeah, yeah. Has a deep backstory here though. Um, being chased by. Keystone cop otters. Uh, I mean, it's wild. It's so much fun. And you could tell that Cockrum is having a lot of fun drawing uh, these characters, doing this very cartoony things. It's weird. Uh, all of that, all of that comes together. Uh, oh, by the way, Charles Xavier's brain dead and merged with the star jammer ship computer Waldo. Yeah. It adds nothing to the story. It's very weird. No, but dude's dead. Like, <laughs> He gets better. If he's hanging out with the Star Jammers, I guess he's always got Sikorsky to bring him back in a clone body. But it's it's wild. That's not the wildest thing that happens with Charles Xavier because after they get all the all the Falcon time stones or whatever, Deathbird and the Imperial Guard come and they do a fight, and it's Deathbird's Imperial Guard, uh, which you know you know them. They're the bad ones. It's the Imperial Guard that you don't love as much as like Hassar and Manta and Warstar and. Oh, there's two new ones, Black Light and White Noise, which we should use more because uh, they're fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, the one where the one whose name I always forget, but is Dave Cockrum drawing uh, Colossus, but as a as a guy with stars all over him. That one's fun. And then there's a new one named Zenith who appears in one issue and dies. And all we know is that Raza doesn't want to kill him, and it turns out, oh, he was actually my brother, and you stole the kill from me, Binary. <laughs> Yeah, there's this weird tension between Raza and Binary the entire time. And um, we also get a, before the big Xavier reveal, which we'll talk about in a second, um, we also get a a cameo from Excalibur because it turns out the Falcon, spelled with a PH, is none other than uh, Rachel Summers hosting the Phoenix. Yeah, it's the Phoenix Force. The Shi'ar, the Shi'ar is looking for the Phoenix Force. Which, if you've already done the retcon that the Phoenix isn't just Jean Grey and that it's it's some cosmic thing, tying the Shi'ar to it, yeah, go for it. That makes sense. Claremont was already having them afraid of the idea of the Phoenix. 
in that case just being Jean Grey because she ate a whole planet once and that was a bad thing. But, you know, it, it works here as a, oh, that's a fun little reveal if you don't know it. It's not expected, especially because people using and getting the Phoenix was not over uh, overdone by this point in 1990. It quickly would be. Mm-hmm. Continues um, to be. <laughs> continues to be. Hey, Adam, who gets the Phoenix Force in this one? Oh, man. Wouldn't you believe it? It's Charles Xavier, and he's hey, is wearing... is it weird that Charles Xavier is immediately wearing the Dark Phoenix costume? It has got to be... There's got to be a story behind this, because it's not just that Charles Xavier is, like, en- engulfed in flames or something like that. He's straight up wearing the red, Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix costume, and flying around and, like, hitting people. It's really funny <laughs> it is not resolved either it just kind of ends yeah yeah you know and so we get these these you know, big action sequences we also get a weird cliffhanger involving thanos on yeah, the man, very last page of this story which i don't know if that was supposed to tie into something else that was going to be published around this time but like in Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos quests are not too much later after this, but it's not exactly additive to that. There's nothing that's saying, oh yeah, and this plays into what Thanos is doing over in Jim Starlin's world. No, it it seems very weird. It's so, just a weird thing that happens. Yeah, so I think there are some things of value here that are fun, especially if you're a Dave Cockrum fan. Um, it's definitely worth it to just to see the Charles Xavier as Dark Phoenix thing and the Kree sequence, which is a lot of fun. Um, but as a story as a whole, this thing is just too long and, and too never-ending. It's a very Marvel Comics Presents thing where they have to... They have eight pages. They have to establish the story every time. It's the same problem that, like, you have if you're reading, like, a Prince Valiant or some sort of newspaper Mm. comic that's serialized. Sure. Where you have to restate the problem every time. Mm Mm-hmm. Slightly move forward. And then cliffhanger. Right. And then do it again and again. And it's very jarring, very... It doesn't work as well as you'd want it to. No, it's unfortunate because these are fun characters to hang out with, but they're not really given a chance to shine because everything is fight this robot planet or, you know, fight this thing or, you know, they don't get a chance to really have fun in the way that we would want them to. Someday someone's going to make a good Star Chambers comic. (laughs) I don't know if it's going to happen this episode um so let's no it's not i'll, I'll tell you it's not going to happen this episode <laughs> and i don't here's the thing because i know the star jammers work well as a supporting cast but i also think like you could get a good dynamic between hepzibah and chaod and raza mm-hmm. like that works absolutely i don't know i don't know why we don't do more of that i don't know they're fun characters <laughs> they Corsair, really are it's great Corsair is easily the most fleshed out, but he has he has good like chemistry with every one of those characters. You could do a good Star Jammer story. We should do one sometime, people. Marvel, do a good Star Jammers. Yeah, be be a lot of fun. Um, so uh, I. Do you think this is better or worse than what we were just talking about with the uncanny? It's worse. It's worse. Yeah. I think that uncanny stuff has... It has some similar problems, but... 
No, the, even the uncanny story has more focus than this. I'm looking around. 358 is no, this is worse than Into the Void. That's got that killer Will Sportacio art. No, I'm working my way down into the 400s here, because I the BKV Icons Cyclops at 405 is better than this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New Mutant Summer Special is better than this at 418. Uh. How about against Daydreamers? What do you think at 427? I would rather reread Daydreamers. Yeah, I think so. Okay, here's the problem. 436, Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. Oddly, very similar problems. I would probably reread Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. I agree. I I think we're in a, in a similar spot here. Just working my Emperor way Vulcan's down. at 460, that's better. Mm-hmm. Uh... I you know at 471 we have Cyclops Retribution and I think we're kind of in that same we realm are. there you know like the the weird but this is longer and drags too much despite like I think Retribution is better um yeah. this is better than the Havoc MCP story which I think is even lower yeah where do we have that we, that's pretty low. I think we ranked that. That's five eighty three. We're yeah, above that by. I don't good. think we're down that far. This is better than five fifty four, which is the two Captain Marvel issues. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think. And was Wildcats X Men better than this? Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> that's a five hundred three. It probably is. Down. Is Cyberforce X Men better than this? No, I don't think it is. Uh, perfect, I think this perfect. is probably better than Reign of Terra at 511. I would say it's actually very similar to Days of Future Present, except for... Ooh. Yeah, but Days of Future think... Present, I will give the edge to for that Art Adams issue. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, that Art Adams. Uh, but I'll put this above uh, Wolverine 102 and 103, uh, that Electra kind of two-piece story. Sounds good. So that means that's our new 509. That's our new 509. Yeah. So... Listen, we um, we have been holding out on our fans for quite a bit of time. We've been doing this show for a couple of years now. And uh, we have been hearing from fans forever, practically since we started doing the show, that there is one fan favorite character that they absolutely have to hear about. And we are finally going to talk about Tolo Hawk. I am so excited that Tolo Hawk is finally here, and we are going to talk about Star Jammers Volume 2. The thing about Tolan Hawk, and I love this, I love this about Tolan Hawk, is that he is the oppressor, and is very much thinking, well, I think both sides have some valid points. We gotta take a very deep breath and introduce what this is because i bet there are a lot of people that have absolutely no idea that this star jammers uh mini series even exists even if you know that the cadet and the corsairs exists you're going to be very confused by the cadet and the corsairs the title of the series that is star jammers volume two coming out of the reloaded era right after uh grant morrison leaves and they kind of kick off all of the new books like this is this was coming out around the same time as astonishing x-men it's weird it's uh ale garza does the pencils on this uh who's an artist i'm not familiar with kevin j anderson is the 
author of this. Now, Adam, do you know anything about Kevin J. Anderson? I don't know anything about this creative team whatsoever. Do you? So the thing about Kevin J. Anderson is, have you heard of Dune? I have heard of Dune. So Dune, written by Frank Herbert, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Frank Herbert died. Yes. And his son was like, how do I continue the Dune franchise? Yep. So uh, Kevin J. Anderson wrote those books. Uh, technically with Frank Herbert's son, but I'm not sure how much of that was just have that last name on the... Uh... Wait a minute. Okay. That makes this make a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would! I was saving this one for you. Because immediately we are treated to Tolo Hawk, who is... This is basically the beginning of Dune. The whole first issue of this is the dining... is trying to be the dining room scene... That lasts for many chapters in in the first book of Dune. Now compare Ugh. that to the movie because I'm not reading Dune. I'm going to tell you, I didn't enjoy the movie enough to read. Man, we've gotten a lot of Dune opinions on this podcast in the last few months. Where where in the movie starring Moon Knight himself uh, mm -hmm. are we talking? All right, if you watch the movie, the dining room scene is not in it. Uh, the screenwriter for Dune. So it's actually, multiple. Actually, hold on, hold on. It's multiple chapters of the book that they said we are not putting. This is a Tom Bombadil situation. Well, here's here's why they did that, and and it's for a very smart reason. The screenwriter of Dune looked at this, and and Villeneuve, and you know, they're all looking at this, and they're going, "Wait a minute! Like six chapters of this book all happen in the same room. Film goers are not going to pay. They're not going to be okay with that. So they split those conversations up into different scenes in in the movie. But in the book, there's this epic dining room scene, and that's uh, what is trying to be emulated here. As we are introduced to, uh, in no short order, Tolo Hawk, a random cadet uh, for the UIR, the United Intelligent Races. Oh boy. Um, and their princess and their committee and all of these. And you're thinking to yourself, what is this? The cover of this book has uh, Raza, Hepzibah, and Chaad or Chode standing in a battle pose. It's a cool looking cover. Cool, 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 cool. It's weird that they don't have the most famous Starjammer on this cover of this book called Starjammers. Uh, also really weird that the star jammers are like the most minor characters here. This is five, five issues, six issues, six, six issues, six it goes, issues. It goes on six issues of Tolo Hawk and the UIR versus not the Groots, but some they other aren't the Groots, but they are very much the people of planet X, the Flora Colossus. They, they're tree people. Whose uh, whose species is being uh, eradicated by the UIR? Uh, this 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 very very racist uh, organization that is going across the galaxy and wiping things out. But they're also going to eat the seeds of the tree people and become the new like superior race or whatever. Right? They do drugs from the tree people's stuff, right. y'all. This is a Dune situation. It's it's crazy. How much this is just trying to be Dune. Um, it it would be if it was comics and it was hey we're just ripping off Dune. That's in a long and beautiful tradition of people ripping off Dune. The fact that it's the guy writing Dune ripping off Dune. 
right. is very funny. I think there's also, you know, a, a pretty uh, large portion of the Dune uh, fan base who would say, once Frank's out, that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? And I, I haven't read the entire Dune franchise. I, I'm, I, I will, I will never read a single page. I will only look at that cover of the God King of Dune where uh, Pretty Boy becomes... Uh, spoilers for Dune. Sorry. Yeah. If you guys if you guys don't want spoilers for this book that came out in the 70s. <laughs> Did it come out in the 70s? Yes. Earlier, And actually. this is on the cover of one of the books that came out in the 70s? Yes. He is resurrected okay. as like a slug guy. Yeah, uh, Timothy Chalamage character is mixed with one of the uh, one of the sandworms. And it's a very <laughs> funny picture on the cover of Dune, the God King of Dune. So not only do we have all of this, like you know, Dune style story that's trying to get injected into here, but um, this main character is terrible. He's, He's the worst. He is. He is consistent in his like confusion in his he kills an entire spaceship worth of we got to talk about this we got we got to build up to that we got to get up to that uh, there's there's a light genocide that he does and is immediately forgiven for it's because crazy he, essentially you know the the Three nazi people? fam the nazi group the white supremacists they are attacked by the star jammers uh the star jammers who are just Chaode and Raza and then a guy named Captain Kalex and a bunch of tree people, a bunch of Groots called Thorns. The they thorns. are not Groots. They are nope. different from Groots. If Marvel was going to make this a thing again and never bring this up, they would just be Groots. Yes. They would just be like Groots from a different planet. It's fine. They're Groots. Yep. They slaughter everybody that they can and get this this kid gets taken as their prisoner. There's a little bit of a uh Jim Hawkins situation here where he starts to get raised by them as the pirates and then uh, tries to escape. They eventually, they try and say, hey, you know the reason why we hate you guys is because, one, you're a really good thing that only cares about humans. You're, the humans are living great. You're very racist. So yeah. we don't like that. Also, you're eating our babies as drugs. And that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh and even he doesn't after... buy it though. No, he then does a genocide to try and escape. He kills all of the other other pirates. It's wild that he does. And then this. they take him back to their base and forgive him. And they're, they're like, still well, like, oh, he's got some room to grow. It's okay, you know. It's it's like listen, no, listen, kill listen. him. If you grew up, you grow up in an environment where you are told that your race is superior and everything else is bad and to listen to people. I understand there's a bit of deprogramming that needs to be done. And there is a, there is a level of forgiveness that you can provide to people for their past actions. When you do several hate murders and he is very racist as he does these murders. Oh yeah. Like racist against tree, tree aliens. Let's be clear. But he it is very bigoted, uh, how he's killing these tree aliens. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, if you want me to like Tolo Hawk and want him to be the protagonist here, I'm not convinced you're doing a very good job, Kevin J. Anderson. No, and it's still not until the very last issue when his own people shoot at him that he is like, oh, I am the bad guy. I'm the baddie. We're the bad guys. <laughs> like, yes. That's, oh, no. Oh, okay, that my makes God. sense now. Yeah. Tolo and, Hawk's an idiot. So um, the fact that, you know, we really don't get to see Hepzibah until the very last issue. 
and we're just riding sidecar with Raza and Joe. They're not the stars of this story. It's it's like why is this called Star Chambers? What it's very what is this? It's very weird. Like you don't get any reference because you're trying to figure out. Wait, one. It's 2004. We know how like Marvel Space is right. ran. You got yep. the you you got a handful of groups. You know what they are. You got your Shi'ar. You got your Kree. None of those guys show up. The nope. the scrolls they ain't here. Nope. You get these new people. You know where the Star Jammers live, and it's not over here. And their captain is Corsair, not this tree man. Which is weird because this is called the Cadet and the Corsairs. And also, you're doing a Star Jammers book, but your characters are Raza and Chaod, who are the third and fourth best Star Jammers. It's absolutely bonkers. I don't know it why is, this exists, and I think it's You don't terrible. get any reference. All you get is, like, by the fourth out of six issues, they're like, yeah, we got we got lost in space somehow. We don't know how we got over here. We just decided to hang out with these tree people for a bit because we definitely uh, couldn't get across the galaxy to meet all of our friends. Yeah, it's it, and that's a bare-boned and explanation. Hepzibah, there's a weird line where Hepzibah's like, yeah, I hate all humans. And the book is smart enough to be like, Hepzibah, 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 girly. I get it. I get it. These people are very racist. Christopher Summers in you are a thing. <laughs> None of it makes so, a damn bit of sense. And I think this is a at- weird book. This is an atrocity and it uh, is terrible. So I think it's going to rank pretty low on our list. It's going to rank pretty low. I don't know how this exists. It's just, it feels like it's a comic completely divorced from anything that you know of the Star Jammers, except for the fact that there's these two guys here who don't actually act all that much like themselves either. No. Like Raza kinda acts like himself, and Chaod kinda acts like himself. Mm, a little bit, but they, they do Chaod almost like he's a dumb brute, and that's not yeah. who that character is. Like they're kinda there. It's it's bad. I don't know what they were doing here. This yeah. is a weird one. Yep. Um, I had not read it before. Don't read it, actually. No, no. This Do is, look this up is the picture poor. of the pirate captain tree man, uh, Captain Calix. <laughs> He's great. He just looks like Groot in his costume. Okay, but hold on, hold on. Groot, but also with a fun pirate hat, is a good design. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. We should do that more. <laughs> yeah, Groot in hats. Let's Let's work on that, folks. Um, I think we're talking about a 600 story here. This is bad. I mean, it's not, the thing is, it's not good. Um, what's 600 right now? Yeah. The number 600 is the Latour Wolverine and the X-Men for six issues. Yeah. This is, this is worse than that. Oddly, almost on line with X-Force Shatterstar. But I think, I mean, the art is, the art is fine in this. It's not terrible. It's bland. it is. And the coloring doesn't help. Like, it it doesn't feel like a book that should be coming out of Marvel Comics. No. It feels like it should be coming out of, like, a third-tier publisher. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, that X-Force series had recognizable characters in the midst of all the nonsense. I mean, this... There's, uh... there's stuff in that X-Force series that it's like, yeah, we know this is a dumb X-Force book with Shatterstar. And they do it bad. So I guess the question here is like we're getting into that part of the list where things become offensive, you know, like 
the multiple birth or we're not doing this is multiple births is worse than this uh, yeah. the sisterhood arc of uncanny x-men is worse than this we're in the I, right spot in the high 600s yep i i don't know i think i would put this in between dazzler the movie and dazzler x song we identified that x song has this issue about very confusing statement about safe spaces um x song x song has some very so here's what i'd say x song has some very centrist politics for what should be a pretty cut and dry issue this one does end with him saying hey if i can convince the princess of the white supremacists uh that actually they're bad then we're all gonna be good and it works (laughs) like the book buys into that pretty darn hard and everyone's like yeah now we're okay now yeah we will no longer eat these people's babies as drugs (laughs) <laughs> I would I would honestly put this below X song but above multiple births. Birth. Okay. All right. That's fine with me. So this is our new 606 folks avoid this one. It is not good. Man, here's the thing. I've read I've not read every X-Men comic. I've read most X-Men comics. And what I'm what I'm quickly realizing, Adam, is the ones that I haven't read are not hidden gems. <laughs> You, I did. I, you found all the hidden gems. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I found all the good ones, and now I'm, I'm stuck on just the absolute worst things that exist. Yeah. Like Star, Star Jammers Volume Two. Whew, that was quite an episode. Uh, pretty wild. It was, it was fun. Uh, <laughs> who do we have to thank for this episode, Adam? Um, bleh. I just shut down the list. That's why I was asking you. It yeah. is uh, Al Parker. Al, thank you so much. We appreciate your support. If you want to be like Al, Patreon's right over that way at ComicsXF on Twitter. Go throw things that way. Tell your friends about this podcast. Here's the thing. We like doing it. And yeah. if you got some friends who are like, hey, what if what if I wanted to hear people talk in depth about some weird X-Men stories? Like, we're not going to talk about the important stuff. We're going to... Even when we're talking about the important stuff, we're going to mix in some of the dumb, dumb stuff in there. <laughs> That's us. Uh, and just really get into the the odd corners of that X-Men universe. Send them our way. Mm-hmm. Folks, if folks want like a 200-level X-Men podcast, I think we're there. Like, I think <laughs> I think there's some fantastic shows at the 100 level that are like very good if you want to get into it, understand what's going on. Uh, just need a cursory knowledge. We're like that second level. We're that sophomore junior class of <laughs> X Men podcasts. I think you should uh, you should pop on in there and see what's going on. Tell your friends, say, hey, you you like you like this real high, easy to get into stuff. Let's get into the rough stuff. <laughs> Let's get into the stuff that's going to define if you like X Men because they're good, or do you like X Men because you're broken as a person? And that's what our podcast provides. <laughs> That was an amazing distillation. Bud, I I I was I was making a joke about this on Twitter of how I was going through my comics collection uh the other day. I've got two long boxes sitting in front of me right now that are mm-hmm. uh filled with the comics that I am I am removing from my life. Right. Yeah. In my closet. More importantly, my closet. And there was a point I said, Well, here's a pretty middling Marvel run, and I'm gonna set this aside. I am keeping trouble. I have to keep four out of five issues of trouble because 
that's where I'm at. I'm a broken person who says no. I have to. I have to have <laughs> the the weird trash in my life. I'm right there with you, man. Right there it's, with you. It's a beautiful life we live. I did keep the official indexes to all of the X Men comics uh, that they put out in the uh, '70s or the '80s, which I think just tells you in chronological order what every X Men comic was through. No, no, that's classic. Oh, through the Phoenix Saga. So if I want to, if I want to know what was going on in any of those issues that they missed, I can check that out. That's good because there's, you know, no way you've read those a million times. Well, the <laughs> the reason I kept kept these around is because they're like, hey, some of these it'll tell you where chronologically weird backup stories should fit into things. No, I and remember I'm like, those. Oh being yeah, cool. let's go. Yeah. Oh, like, hey, look, there's an angel story in Marvel Treasury Edition twenty seven. Uh, that takes place between X-Men 138 and 139. Of course. Oh, it involves Lalandra. I should read this one. <laughs> I've not. That's a... Who is that? That's a Bob McCloudy. That's a Brent Anderson drawn one. Hey. Um, wow. Adam, let's figure out an excuse to find Marvel Treasury Edition 27. Will do. we got to check out the list. Oh, so, uh, anything you're working on there, bud? Uh, wanna... I'm working on how to figure out how to talk about Marvel Treasury Edition 27 <laughs> on the on the podcast. That's where I'm cool. at right now, and cool, cool. I'm working I'm working on the next generation of air conditioners and water water heaters. Of course, as always. That's what I'm um, doing. I've, I've got the HVAC refrigeration life <laughs> going for me. It's exhausting. Adam, what's up? You Folks, doing? you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Zach. What do we have on tap for next week? I don't know. As I said, I shut down the list way too early. Uh, let's see. What's X Men? Next week, cool storm stuff. What's X Men forty two to forty four? Yeah, this is cool X Men. This is, I mean, cool storm stuff. Yeah, we're doing we're doing storm next week. She's great. Yeah. Uh, but until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!